Hello, you're listening to Feeding the Senses Uncensored. I am your host, Trey Mitchell. I know there are infinite amounts of podcasts out there, and I'm glad you found this one. This is a podcast by an artist for artists that are all relative to Nashville in some way. You can check out my photography on Facebook and Instagram at Trey Mitchell Photography. Also check out our censored Facebook page, S-E-N-S-O-R-E-D. We are always looking for new sponsors, so please reach out, ftsunashville at gmail.com. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share. Our guest today is Mark Palin, an international artist, world traveler, illustrator, painter, cartoonist, and he has some thoughtful insight into being a true artist and has very entertaining stories. We also discuss Burning Man. Mark Palin, how are you, man? Hey, hey, hey. It's uh, snowing up here in Tahoe right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it actually is, because that means tomorrow morning's good skiing. So last time I saw you was here in Nashville at uh, Brown's Diner. So yeah, that's probably four years ago, you think? Four or five, something like that. I left Nashville in... Uh, 2017 june the first week of june 2017 and uh went to seattle and then uh after two years there uh cut down to reno then wound up here in tahoe this past summer so what took you to those different places well seattle was because of a woman and reno was because of an art project that never happened I got okayed to do my uh, installation at Burning Man and two things happened that were not good. And this is before COVID. Right. My, my lieutenant got sick, cancer sick and chemo and all that. And I lost a valuable arm, a valuable person in the process and it threw everything off and it just snowballed into a, I've got to shut this down. Is that person okay or that? Nah, he he went back to Atlanta and I you know, I talked to him a lot. He's going through a second round of chemo now, and yeah, it's a it's been uh, hard on him. He left Reno last year and uh, went back to uh, well in 2019. This is 2019. He started uh, planning on going back to Atlanta, his hometown, and he's been there ever since. And yeah, that was a hard thing for for both him and for me and. Yeah, I really, I really wanted to make this thing, which was going to be a, a big pile of uh, rubbish, basically. In fact, the project was called Rubbish, and it was going to be scrap metal piled about 20 feet high and 40 feet long with a, a mine shaft going through the middle of it. So the party was on the inside, and it was going to have a big sign sticking out of it, you know, with Vegas lights rubbish cool and i got it okayed and right up to the engineering and the transportation and the costs and budget and all the things and uh, it just had to get shut down basically because my lieutenant guy was gonna handle fundraising which is a, a, a very important part of the process of making and taking things out to uh, the middle of nowhere, you know, certainly. Yeah. So that was bad. And it, it was a red flag for Burning Man organization. You know, I, I failed to do it. 
they didn't chastise me. Uh, they've seen this happen a lot, yeah. but it's uh, a check mark against my name that I didn't get it done. And, you know, I, not that I've tried to do something again since, but, uh, the next time I try to get something okay, I'm going to make sure the money's in order way up front. So have you done Burning Man before? Oh, yeah. I've, been, I've done some things out there. I guess I've been to, like, I, I lost count. I've been to several regionals. I've been out there in the desert at least 10 times. And they canceled last year, and I still went out there three times because it's such a beautiful desert. Yeah. The Black Rock Desert is quite an amazing thing to see anyway. Of course, it's always better when Black Rock City pops up. But uh, uh, yeah, I've been out there a few times and I've taken some things from Nashville. What year was it? 2015. A friend of mine uh, in Nashville, we put together a uh, Tennessee saw. We made this contraption that was was quite interesting and people could, you know, seesaw on it. Right. A whole bunch of people at one time. It was a real wide platform. Awesome. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And of course, being a part of any of that stuff out there is really interesting, you know, volunteering and, and being part of a, a, uh, an art build. One time I went out there for a total of three weeks to set up and then enjoy the week and then break down. And that was a long stint, 21 days out there. Wow. But uh, yeah, and I'll probably never do that again. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, a week. A good week out there, week and a half. But from Nashville, you know, that's a three-day drive out there. Yeah. There's six days of travel. So it's convenient being close to it. I mean, I can I can be there in two and a half hours from here. It's nice to be able to leave the ply and be able to be in your own bed at that night, you know, and shower, you know, and all that. Definitely. But people come from all over the world, and, and uh, it's one of the – you know, the coolest outdoor museums in the world and that it only lasts for a week, you know, it pops up and then it disappears. It's quite spectacular. I've always wanted to go. I think now, it, I mean, I don't know because I've never been, but it seems like it's probably a little different now because it's probably a lot more people. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, all the stories are true. It's It's become much larger and because of the limitations, so permits are required and there's only one way out there and one way back and on a two-lane road. So the size has always been an issue. And in 2011, they decided to limit it at uh, cap it at 70,000 back then. It's all by lottery. So it's become real interesting in that you might not necessarily be able to go just because you want to go. But then when it hit the lottery thing, the limitations, that's when it got really weird. And it's it's uh it smacks of elitist summer camp type stuff now right that's a bummer yeah it, it is but you know what it's still the coolest thing in the world <laughs> you can get involved the participation is the key out there there's big theme camps and big art projects that you could get attached to in 2011 when they they said they were gonna you know limit it and it was a lottery system um, i was thinking you know what i'll just parachute in and uh that it could have been done back then but it's really interesting as a city you know airports libraries jazz bars uh hospital you know it's quite strange it sounds like uh mad max meets art world or something you know 
Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is that. And then some, I've always said, it's just, it's the world's most expensive bonfire. <laughs> it's uh, quite, quite a community of like-minded people. And uh, with that kind of energy, a lot of cool things get done and happen. And it's uh, quite the experience, no doubt about it. I love the uh, concept and the whole, what you take in is what you take out, like a lot of, you know, national parks. But the whole building a city and tearing it down is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, when you when you step back and think about it, <laughs> it really is uh, mind blowing that so much money gets spent and effort, time and effort, blood, sweat, tears. Yeah, from the outside, for me, it is a metaphor of life. You can build all these things, but you can't take it with you when it all burns down. You know. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things about it. It's uh, the uh, experiencing the art as it uh you know being in the moment yeah i got hit by lightning out there <laughs> but it, it hardly ever rains but when it does it it stops everything lightning bolt hit right next to me and went shot right up my leg all the way to my waist and dropped me to my knees and all of a sudden i became the guy uh oh you're the guy who got hit by lightning <laughs> that was yeah 2014 if i hadn't known you for so long i'd say that's what's wrong with you there you go <laughs> Let's change the subject. Um, so where are you originally from? Well, <laughs> I'm not being facetious, but it, from everywhere I've been, literally, because, you know, I, I was born in Winston-Salem, you know, only lived there for a few months. And then we started going up the Northeast and, you know, lots of New York. And then, of course, Yokohama, Rotterdam, Tehran, um, London, and, you know, right at The Hague. Yeah, I haven't been gathering much moss over the years. Did your family move due to army or work or? No, that's a good guess. And there was lots of military all over the place, as as Americans like to be. But um, my father was with Sealand Container Service, uh, the intermodal those boxes that go around the world on trains, trucks, and ships. That makes them intermodal. And uh, my dad's mentor was uh, McLean, Malcolm McLean, who designed that way back in the 50s. He came up with the concept and by the 60s, it was starting to happen. And that's why your iPhone is so cheap. Yeah, yeah. So Yokohama was, is still, the, well, I guess, the biggest port over there. Rotterdam is the biggest port in Europe. And uh, my dad was in operations. He liked to, he liked to uh, get his hands dirty with you know operational stuff right um he didn't he wasn't sitting in a big corporate office somewhere so that's how the traveling got done and and that started in the 60s for me real early so i was starting to get exposed to languages and cultures from different places early right so how many languages can you speak a lot of them brokenly <laughs> my japanese is crap my dutch is crap my German and my Swiss German are crap, but that's because I don't use them. But it's fun, you know, like at a Japanese restaurant, I can mobilize, you know, when I'm meeting people, uh, especially the, up here. There's a lot of uh, international people up here in Tahoe right? and uh, that are visiting from the Bay or something. And I get, I get my occasional Farsi in or depending on the situation, but it's, it's, I'm not very good. And that's basically because I didn't use enough. Sure. Two questions. Where are the places you lived the longest and where were your favorite places to live? Well, Yokohama, seven years of that was absolutely stunning. 
a very impressionable age for seven years there. And The Hague is gorgeous too. But Switzerland stands out because, well, I was living in Lucerne, which even the Swiss boat, the prettiest uh, town in Switzerland. So you can imagine how beautiful that is. It's in the central part of Switzerland, right there at the edge of the Alps and the Mitterland, the, the rolling hills. And that was 16 years overall. I came and went and went and all kinds of things. And yeah, it was a great place to be. And it was good to artists. So I had a I had a good run in Switzerland. I'd say Nashville, you know, come on. I, I got a special place in my heart for Nashville too. You know, I got there in 89 and I, that was, that seemed like the first wave of Yankees coming in. There weren't a lot of New Yorkers in Nashville back in 89. Um, I can tell you that much. Now it's a lot different. Uh, obviously um, money's coming in and I see a lot of, you know, I've watched what's happened in Nashville over the last 10 years. And, you know, I had, I enjoyed it when I was there and can't say that I outgrew it or anything like that. I just, uh, I didn't run from it, but I did walk to other places uh, that I was getting, you know, gravitational pull. And Seattle was good for the time that I was there. I, when it's sunny, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. <laughs> but, you know, a whole month of rain. My first November in Seattle, it rained all 30 days. Yeah, my psyche couldn't take that. Yeah, it's, it's not, that's not cool. And I'm a desert rat. I like, I like mountains and deserts. I'm not a beach guy or seafaring type person. The sunshine, the light down here in Tahoe is gorgeous. The blues are amazing. The greens, the earthy tones. I'm, I, really, I really enjoy landscapes again, um, which I'm slowly ebbing and flowing towards. I haven't been doing landscapes in a long time but i i think i'm i'm getting my buttons pushed up here and there is an art market um so i think i've landed in a place that i'll probably be able to stay with for a long time and i like to ski so that that was bringing me to where i was going to go and that is let's talk about your art because when i met you you i saw you go through what you called your bulbism phase yep i saw that really crazy uh Ramas Bosch Dolly intricate big stuff. So let's talk about your phases. I mean, because you know, I was gonna ask you, do you do landscapes? Because I don't really remember seeing that. So more like simplified textures and extremely intricate textures. So tell us a little bit more about phases of your work. It's pretty wild, you know, you you get into the thing and then you you tap it. And you work it until it doesn't move you anymore or something else comes in place of it. Landscapes are always there, but to stay focused on only those. And I think in Switzerland, I went through a heavy landscape phase because the Alps, you know, what are you going to say? <laughs> and I think I'm feeling that here as well. But phases are are things you know i can't be a, i'm not a one-trick pony i'm an illustrator first you know okay so i pick up a guitar now and again i like to bang some pots and pans and sculpture but at base i'm an illustrator and depending on 
what buttons get pushed and what vision I might have, I'll go down that road. Um, and if I'm going down a road, then it's it's probably a good thing because I will start something and quit it if I if I if I'm not feeling it. I'll I'll take it as far as I can ride it if it's working for me. And you never know what that might be. The boldism was a concept that came out of abstracting things. Like, you know, Picasso broke things down and went through certain phases. And I think the bulbism was something I could call my own. Definitely. And that was one phase. The Dali type stuff was real intricate because I was into the uh, uh, realism and making things more believable, which is basically using light. And I married that with the idea of that was... uh, the revolver stuff. I was dreaming about the future and how what we go into DNA and, and the scientists and uh, you know all the science is being is able to manipulate DNA and change things. I was going down the road of looking at what would happen if this really went wild and you know you could uh, attach a man to a uh, a horse or something like that and meld them and you know, then take metallurgy and meld that with natural stuff. And I just got real abstract, kind of like sci-fi. That was a a fun period. And it also has to do with location and place. You know, if you've got a good studio and you know you're going to be there for five years, you're going to think differently than if you're just going to go pop across the uh, the pond and and stay a few weeks in uh, Belgium or something what you come away with, what you see is going to influence you, what you hear, what you read, um, stuff like that. So you never know what, where it'll come from, but, and for instance, the Burning Man stuff, all of a sudden I started thinking 3d large particip, you know, participatory stuff that people can interact with, which I had never done before. So I, you know, tip my hat to Burning Man for expanding my mind to think in terms of, large space and interactive, you know, stuff, you know, so it's kind of, you know, you never know where the stuff's coming from, but I can tell you this up here in Tile, I'm definitely feeling the, the urge to landscape again. Well, what other phases have you had since you've been around the world? You know, I haven't really been so introspective (laughs) lately (laughs) about it. Um, cartooning, you know, uh, as a writer, marrying, you know, uh, a story with some humor or wit, you know, I went through the phase of, uh, in, in Nashville there with the, uh, having a strip in the, that, uh, local, the contributor paper for the homeless. Oh yeah. I did that for a few years. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that was cause I had done it in college and then uh, I had some some ideas that I took to the editor there and they said, hey, can you do this every week? And the one thing about it is all of a sudden you've got deadlines. So it's a different animal. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm happy to say I, I'm I was always meeting my deadlines, but I may not have been. It's hard to be funny every week. Um, it really is a challenge. And uh, I think I did that for like three years. And, uh, you know, they paid me. So it was like a job. And sometimes it was a pain in the ass and sometimes it wasn't. But, you know, I just 
read the paper, you know, watch the news and get a get an idea that had something to do with Nashville. So some something kind of like a old school satirist. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. We used one of your paintings for the cover of uh, Censored Magazine, which was the guy yeah. blowing his top with the smokestack coming out. What year was that? Oh, gosh. The magazine when print was from 98 to 2001. Okay. Or two. That makes sense. Somewhere in there. That makes sense. You know, I used to, I used to be really good about uh, knowing dates and what body of work happened then and who bought the piece or whatever somewhere along the line i kind of stopped worrying and stopped thinking about what i actually accomplished because i'm always looking forward i used to know all that stuff and probably because when you start out you know in your first 10 paintings you're it's easier to know where they went than your your last thousand. Right. Well, where are some of your paintings? Like you move around so much. So do you just produce a lot of work, have a show, sell as much as you can, and then you do what with them? Because you don't take all your stuff with you that is left over from any show. I Yeah, it's true. I, I, I don't own but three paintings that I've done. Uh, over the years, I, I was coincidentally, I was in storage, my storage place, and I found a few. And I'm actually, I've got tons of illustrations on paper and watercolors or whatever studies. I wanted to get all of them together because it's time to update my website and do some kind of book, self-published or whatever. So that's what's going on now. So I kind of have started thinking about that but most of the the shows that i've done all that stuff gets you know it either sells right there then or is follow-up stuff and people you know because right it's just the way it happens um i've only only one time have i had a sellout and the only reason i know that is because it was it's only been one time and it was in a kind of fancy bar in in Switzerland. And that was kind of rewarding, but it's not common, especially if, you know, sometimes prices being what they are, depending on the piece, um, the prices, you know, you never know something, something that doesn't take me long. I'm not going to charge a lot for right. But something that takes seven months, that's, you know, that's going to be a rocker. Yeah. Well, I wish I had some of your work, especially the Bulbism or that crazy, uh, intricate stuff you were talking about. Long time in the magazines, I had every cover for about the first like seven covers. And then eventually they didn't fit the style of where I lived, or uh, I gave them away, or I gave them back, or I, you know, I, it's hard to just hoard artwork. Yeah, it is. It really is. What do you, so, what do you do if you don't have? All right, let's just go back. So, you have stuff in your storage. You're, say you're going to do a book or whatever, but that stuff, do you? Do you sell it online? Do you like, how would someone buy something if they can't go to your show in Tahoe or wherever you're living? Right. Yeah. It's going to, the whole digitizing process, I'm tightening up. I've got a lot of it digitized already, but there's a lot that hasn't been. In fact, one of the things uh, that I have is that cover that you were just talking about. Really? Yeah. It's somewhere within uh, the boxes that I brought up here to my cabin and 
uh, I will definitely be, it's going to be an arduous process. I'm not looking forward to going through everything, documenting it, dating it, scanning it, and all these things. Yeah. It simply has to get done. And I think I've got the time to do it now. I've been, it's been something on my mind. And uh, when I was in Reno, that seemed like such a temporary place. I never locked into it. But up here, I feel like, okay, now I can roll my sleeves up and do this project. So there will be, you know, in a year from now, I'll be in a different position. I'll, my website will be more tight and there will be a way to, to order certain elements, uh, certain things and, you know, have them sent to you and this kind of thing. I'm getting closer to that because um, obviously the web's the thing right now, you know. Yeah. And while we're talking about it, what is the name of the website? Uh, Palin Art is my website. Okay. Which uh, needs to get tidied up. The navigation on it is, it, it was great 21 years ago. It was kind of nouveau because I, I started that, uh, I got the domain and, and built it in 2000, January 2000. And I've only updated it once 10 years ago. And it just looks like it needs lots of tidying up. But there is a lot of old stuff in there. It's just not complete. And it needs to get edited. So that's my art project for this year. And uh, I'll be painting as well. Not everybody can explain this, or sometimes you just don't know. But what are your influences when it comes to painting? I got to say, early on, you know, like I said, I'm an illustrator. So I was really into Escher. Oh, yeah. And uh, Kleben was a good artist, uh, illustrator. He did a bunch of books in the 70s. You know, R. Crumb, come on, he's great. Yeah. Um, Disney, you know, there's nothing like the, you know, I was in, I went through an animation phase too um, in college. And, you know, I studied what Walt did from, you know, his book, you know, to animate on twos, this kind of thing, because it was 24 frames per second before video, just drawing, pushing a pen around. Yeah. And then getting into more realism. So then, you know, in Holland, Thank God my parents took me to museums. So I saw a lot of the, you know, the masters, man, you know, not just Van Gogh, although Van Gogh I love. And he influenced my early, you know, picking up a paintbrush and splashing, you know, pushing paint around. And then uh, looking at the realism of uh, Vermeer and Rembrandt, you know, wild stuff there and the Italians. So that, that really pushed me into thinking about, you know, the texture of paint and what paint does under light and all these things. And I was real lucky to get introduced to Vorn, Werner Wildner, a uh, Nashville-based illustrator who absolutely influenced me um, and taught me some tricks. And basically he said, it's all about the lighting. You know, how believable do you want the thing you're painting to be if it doesn't matter you know like in cartooning even in cartooning you see the hand you have to believe it's a hand right but in 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 you know the realism stuff you want to be told what time of day it is you know what's where's the sun where's the light these kind of things you have to answer when you're getting serious about that kind of thing so you know it's, it's just wild stuff I, you know, I went to art school. I'm a double art major. I tried 
watercolor. I did charcoal and pencil and oil painting and acrylic, but I didn't like anything except for oil. So what I've seen of yours is all oil. Do you use other things? I started with acrylics and then moved on to oils um, back in the 90s. Why did you move on? Because I didn't like acrylic because it dried too fast. Yeah, that's exactly why I don't like it. But one of the things, because I'm working on a water-based thing right now, an acrylic right now, and latex, and I can make it work. It's just, it's, it's a hassle. Oil, you can push it around and it'll still be able to be worked on tomorrow. But, you know, the acrylics dry so fast mm. that you have to be a little bit thoughtful about your attacking it. You know, it, you've got to decide on what area and what you want to do with it and get it done. Yeah, you have to have more of a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be going over it and layering it, which is also a technique too. But yeah, oils are... I thought they were always messy and pain in the ass, but there's stuff that speeds up the drying process and there's stuff that can thin it out. So you can really control the oil better and be more efficient with your time. So that's, that's why I like it. But of course it stinks to high holy hell. Well, the turpentine does anyway. Right. It's a good smell and it reminds me of my early days of trying all these different mediums. So it was really, you know, invigorating. So when I can smell that kind of stuff, it's like, oh yeah, reminiscent, you know? Yeah. Oh no, I, I grew, uh, you know, I've gotten used to it, but uh, it's, uh, it's all right. I don't mind it. Especially if you've got a large studio and you can air it out <laughs> now and again. What about watercolor? Yeah. I didn't have the patience for that due to so much less control. It's unforgiving. You can do a really good drawing and then want to color it in and you ruin it in a second. So it's kind of a pain in the butt, I'd say. And you see so many people do it so well. Yeah. You know, I love to see a, a good piece. Whether It doesn't matter what paint was used, but I don't have the patience for it either. We're about to play Word Beat. Word Beat. Word Beat. So I'll give you one or two words or a name and just whatever pops in your head. You just tell me what that is. Okay. Okay. Blank canvas. <laughs> Finally woven. Van Gogh. Splash. Portraits. Sometimes dark. Trump Loel. Sad. Monet. Givernet. France. Yeah. Pastels. No, thanks. Oil painting. Ah. Uh, Palette. Useful. Da Vinci. Mind blowing. Dali. Also mind blowing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, watercolor. No thanks. Impasto. Uh, mm, messy. Michelangelo. Uh, a genius. Santa Fe. Ah, beautiful. Pencil. Helpful. Matisse. Mm, no, thanks. Acrylic. Um, cheaper than oils. <laughs> Landscapes. When they're done well. Pollock. An interesting take on 
modern art. Curascuro. Very beautiful. Spain. I'll take Barcelona. Charcoal. Messy, but sometimes fun. Hieronymus Bosch. A favorite. Cartoons. When they're done well, you know. Glazing. Um, preferred on kiln work. Murals. Uh, love to see them. Love to see them. Nashville has a lot more murals now. I know. And that's a good thing. I'm glad mine's still up. <clears throat> that needs to get retouched, I would imagine. Wait, where is it? On 37th and Murphy. That floral shop. Oh, yeah. Import flowers. Yeah, the sunflowers. Yeah, that's cool. I've taken pictures of models in front of that painting. I have taken pictures of people taking pictures of people in front of that. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm so worried that someone's going to get hurt there because of that corner. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Jessica. Uh, yeah, got to have it. Italy. Oh, man. Monza and Monte Carlo. Uh, going, yeah, I, I love Italy. New York. That's my town. So nice. I had to name it twice. <laughs> All right, a couple more. West Coast. I've spent more time out here over the last uh, four years than I ever have. There's there's a lot of good things going on. I'm glad it's very blue, and I don't mind paying taxes for things to you know work properly. But it's still America. <laughs> couple more. Uh, middle America. Speaking of flying over, well, you know, driving through. There's a lot of cool places in in the middle of america um you know even kansas can be beautiful did you know there's, there's an area in kansas the northeast corner it's called little switzerland because the hills are very very steep no kidding it's very interesting oh and speaking of west coast and all these cities i've realized about myself is that i've i've been to more states than other countries. I'm getting there. I'm getting better at it. But my favorite three cities in this order, and I figured out why after I started telling people this, uh, number one for me is New Orleans. Number two is San Francisco. Number three is New York. I wouldn't be able to afford or want to live really in New York or San Francisco, but I could live in New Orleans and I love it. And those are the three, to me anyway, my, in my opinion, the most European type cities in the US. I think, I think uh, you've got some good three cities there, my friend. You know, New Orleans is just, uh, New Orleans, I'll tell you, man, that's just a special, that's one of those places on the planet that's really touched, you know, I mean, really touched. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I, I had never been there when it wasn't Mardi Gras. And then I went one time, like in between Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest when it was quote unquote normal. And it was just as much fun, less people, less drunks, and it was still great. And the music and the food, I mean, I, I know it gets swelteringly hot down there, though. Well, yeah, humidity is a real son of a bitch. But like you said, I mean, I'm, so I'm from North Louisiana. I've been to New Orleans probably 25 times or more. But like you just mentioned, I always tell people, if you go to Mardi Gras, fine, but please go back and do something else. There's something 
Yeah. Different every month. It's a great city. The food, the art. I mean, it is just like you said, there's, there's really nothing like it. Absolutely. Memphis has a certain kind of unique charm too, in its own special way. Uh, New Orleans light. Yeah. New Orleans light. Beale street is, is bourbon street light. Yeah. And of course it's turned, I, I lived in Memphis in 88 before I came to Nashville and I lived downtown and had a normal job back then. I had a lot of fun down there and it was just starting to get gentrified down there. It hadn't been spoiled yet. Spooky at night. And uh, it's more Disneyland now, kind of like what's happened to lower Broadway. Let's get as many tourists as we can. They're starting to infiltrate all of the local areas of the city too it's not just downtown it's germantown and midtown and yeah. east nashville and soho and sobro and weho is one of started with the gulch and the whole i when i got back from switzerland in 2011 so 10 years ago this august nashville was still okay the gulch was starting to kick into gear uh into a high gear actually while I, over the last 10 years it's just been bizarre watching what's been going on that's not necessarily a bad thing, but in this case, I mean, the the rents skyrocketed. The hardest thing about leaving Nashville is all the friends that I, you know, had to leave. And I still talk to a bunch of people. And I was back two years ago for Christmas. My son's there, changing the scenery. That's a good thing for an artist, I think. And that's a different perspective because I see it as both exciting and depressing. We've lost so much character. It's so much newer, flashier, shinier, expensive. And if you look at it from your perspective, you know, as an artist, the scenery changes, which is good. But you also have more, more people to see your work as well. The art scene, I mean, there are more galleries and there's more. There's just more of everything. The only thing that there's not more of is the old Nashville. But there's more artists there and there's more guitarists now than there were. And, you know, all adds up. Let me ask you some random questions here to, to wrap up. First, what is your definition of creativity? Vision and due diligence and action. You know, like you've got to have an idea, which is a good start. But if that's all it is, then, you know, it's just a thought. Whether that's some system at work that is implemented or a vision of something that I want to, you know, draw or build, uh, or even, you know, the artistry of the chefs put into the kitchen. It's an idea and then it's acted on. When did you realize that you had a artistic gift? I think as a kid in Yokohama, when I started drawing football players, I was into, you know, football, looking at Sports Illustrated and drawing football helmets and you know that kind of thing i started that way you know somewhere along the line i got published high school so all of a sudden it was a thing i was you know oh you're the artist or you're the photographer these things started happening so i think it was somewhere in there what do you intend to achieve through your creative works believe it or not i intend to part with them so that I can make more. It's kind of that simple. Do I want to make something that looks beautiful? Yeah. Do I want to make something that uh, people enjoy? Of course. You know, I want to make more. <laughs> um, that's that's what I, the intention is, is to make as, as much as I can before I can't. And, you know, I'm 60 now. 
my clock is different than it was 30 years ago, which is something I'm coming to terms with. I really have goals now. Like I want to get this done. I want to get that done. Like I told you the book and the website and just paying as much as I can sometime. Uh, I don't know when, but there's going to be a day where I can't anymore. Try to make the best of your time, you know, with what you have. Right. Do you think you're less prolific, but produce better quality with more intention now? That's, that's the way I felt for a long time, actually. Well, that's good. The, in the early days, my intention was I had to get my name out there. It, you know, especially in Nashville when I first got there and threw away my coat and tie in the office for art. It was a, there was a certain level of marketing that was necessary, which was a pain in the ass. And sometimes I did it well and sometimes didn't. But getting out there and the exposure is what got me to go to Switzerland and you know travel on my own, not with family or like when I was a kid. Now it was my art that was doing the work. So that was a good thing. But I'm much more interested in the the thing rather than the the art show and the getting press and stuff like that. So it's a, a different game for me now because I'm not really interested in being famous or anything. I don't really have to win over anybody all i have to do is make a decent piece and put it in the right place it's a different ball game than it was when i started there was no internet yeah and newspapers are just not what they used to be definitely not it used, it used to be able to get a decent print ad <laughs> you know it's just a whole different world and so i don't really worry about that like what i want to do now is do a body of work if, if I hit the right notes with the landscapes up here, I'd like to do a body of work and do a show up here. If I'm going to go after landscapes, I'm going to do something weird. You know what I mean? I'm going to find a new way of looking at it. You would not be you if you didn't do something a little off. When I moved here, everyone assumed that I was a musician. I was like, no, I'm a photographer. And back then, there was maybe 100 photographers. There's probably like 20, 25 really good ones. They're actually, you know, a lot better photographers than me. And that's why I found that thing that other people were doing, which was the magazine. Yeah. You know, you have that same kind of mentality, like, okay, well, why would I just follow the leader and do what everybody else is doing when I can pave my own path? It wasn't very hard for me to to be that way because I am that way naturally. And you know, originality carries its own signature, right? I never had to worry about blending in, although I hope this next phase with the landscapes is something that is different enough to catch people's eye. Everything I've seen of yours is different enough where I'm sure that will happen. In a year from now, hopefully my website's all tight and I'll have some form of hard copy book available or something. What advice would you give to anyone starting out saying to themselves, I am going to be an artist? First of all, you're, you either are one or you're not one. If someone says, I'm going to be one, that's a good thing if they have already got this tingling, you know, they've already been snake bit. But if they're going after it for some other reason, then it's probably not a good idea. You know, I'm all for people being artists and being creative, but to make a living from it is quite a different thing. You can be an artist and not live off of it. In fact, uh, I'd recommend it 
I can't. I've I, I got to paint. I've got to make shit. And anything else is just, you know, interference. But that's what I've learned over time. It's a hard road. Hopefully you can find a good balance. The ups and downs, are, it's not for the light of hearted, you know? And I commend people like yourself that stick with it and don't take no for an answer. Because I, I've tried probably... 15 different creative things that don't make any money and I've gone to, you know, having a day job and then still, you know, being able to do things like a podcast or whatever on the side films or whatever I was doing at the time. So I see what you're saying. There's a, there's costs involved and relationships and, you know, I've been lucky and I've been unlucky both to be honest with you. And uh, it's just not for everybody. Um, it's not all <laughs> it's not all five star hotels and throwing TVs off of the balcony. <laughs> Sometimes it's uh, getting deported <laughs> and and uh, being on Interpol's list. Well, has it happened to you? Is that true? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm off the list now. I uh, was working in Switzerland and I thought I was cool because I thought I understood the three months in, three months out, or get your passport stamped. So I'd leave Switzerland and go dip into Italy or Germany and get my passport stamped and go in. I did this for years and years and years. But uh, I broke up with my girlfriend and she, she got pissed and woman scorned. And she ratted me out to the cops that I was working. She told them, where to go to prove it they came got me and they deported me and i had to pay a fine three thousand five hundred swiss francs so you were working without a work visa then well i got paid yeah i sold the painting yeah right and um so uh yeah i got kicked out yeah she found out i was engaged to a girl half her age and that didn't help and she ratted me out and it's a small village, Lucerne, and everybody knew she was the rat. So she can live with that. Um, I moved on and I did wind up marrying the Swiss girl. And I, I, I was back in the country in less than eight months. So, you know, it was all for naught. Anyway, that was that. Um, that's just one particular story. We probably shouldn't talk about this. They may be listening. Let me ask you uh, a final question to kind of wrap this up. So what is your greatest sacrifice that you've made for your craft? I think not being with my son uh, as often as I would have liked. I, I did as good a job as I could with balancing Switzerland and, uh, and him. But that we've made up for it, uh, plenty and everything's cool, thank God. But I missed him a lot. And I'd call every week and kept in good touch. And I came back and forth from Switzerland, visiting Nashville all, all the time. I did the best I could. But uh, that sacrifice was the one that hurt most, for sure. And how old is he now? He's 22. He's about to graduate from Loyola Marymount. And I'm going to go drive down and see him down there in uh, like a month and a half, actually. Down in LA. Tell the listeners uh, your website, your Instagram, Facebook, any of those socials that they can uh, see your work and get in touch with you. 
palinart.com is the the big web thing and then of course mark palin uh facebook and palin art on instagram it's pretty pretty simple palin art and you know if you google you see all kinds of stuff yeah there's there's some interesting stuff out there that i forgot about you know you can't hide anymore yeah and uh as uh as life continues on we're gonna bump up the website and and uh do a show cool mark i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me it was great to catch up i'll be excited when i have a palin book of art in my hands well yeah thanks i'm glad to hear you're still there in nashville and you know working it balancing things out that was mark palin we hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as we did recording it you can reach us at ftsunashville at gmail.com. And now we have an Instagram account, Feeding the Senses Uncensored. You can see my photography work at Trey Mitchell Photography on Instagram and Facebook. I have to thank Damien Horn for his unofficial theme song. As always, feed your senses, feast on your community's artistic talents, and always, 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 Feed your soul.